We're going to be doing our study, and it's, it's a parable of the sower, and I want us just to do the reading. If Maureen can put it up, the reading itself. Can that come up? Yes. And what we'll do, we'll read it together, as we did last week. Everybody read it with me, and so that... I, I think last week, if I was right, I, I, about halfway through, I became a solo act for some reason. Everybody... Everybody started off good and then all stopped. So see if we can endure to the end. Okay. Right, let's read this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great clouds gathered about him. So they got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things and parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. That's lovely. We'll go on to our study. We're going to do the parable, um, part two. And last week, what happened, and I'll just oh, I'll put it on. Hopefully this will work this week. Yes, oops, get it back. Good. I was so excited there. Last week, uh, we talked about how the parable was about seeds and soil. God's word, our lives. And remember one of the things, I had a little movie to show, but with a lot of difficulties earlier on about quarter to ten, that I've taken it out and I'll just talk about it. Because funny, in the movie... Uh, that where I go over everything, it only takes about one and a half minutes. And I always think to myself, why did it take me half an hour? <laughs> you know, probably you'd say the same thing. Anyway, but it was about seeds and soil. And the important thing about it was the only thing we can really change is the soil. The soil that is our life. Now, lots of people want to change the seed. That's a struggle you have in the, the C of S, and it's not about all the different kinds of things that you may disagree that's happening, but it's really, in essence, a struggle between seed and soil. And rather than the soil changing, lots of people want the seed to change. But God will not do that. And remember last week we talked about how some seed, as Jesus was teaching there, some seed fell on, on rocky ground, hard ground. And in the hard ground, it was a place where people trampled on. Remember we talked about how people's lives have been trampled on. Folk have been abused sexually, emotionally, physically. Tragedy. You know, I don't know if you saw even, there was another tragic story um, about a wee boy who was at school. He got killed by his parents, well, his mother 
and, and her, her boyfriend murdered him. He was tortured, and they videoed it. You know, what, what's going on? It, it's, it's lives whose who, who's lives have been hard done by, who've been walked on, and because they're so hard that the abused tend to become the abusers. And that can happen. The folk where it's happened to them, where they've been battered and bruised, they in turn just pass it on. So there's hard ground, and we talked about that. Then it was a rocky ground that did have much soil, and you'll see that with a lot in Christianity. People just sprout up, but there's not a depth, because in the soil system in Palestine, what they believe was there was a little bit of earth, and underneath it was a lot of limestone in some sections. Therefore, it could only go so far, and Jesus talked about some people are going to be like that when they interact with the seed. Now, one of the things I did try to say is this, it's not, all is not lost. But what happens as well is that other seeds are going to go beside thorny ground. And the thorny ground can really end up just choking everything. So we looked at last week the, the whole idea of the hard ground, how our lives can be walked upon. And we looked at the shallow ground where we're really going for it. We're a wee bit like the Thomas. We really are going for it, but suddenly everything falls apart. There's no depth. Remember, I ended last week with Jesus' story. Um, the wise man built his house upon the words of Jesus, and the foolish man ignored them. So that's where we were last week. So we're going to look at today, thorny ground and the good ground. Now remember I said that the soils in your life are a permutation, right? And by that I mean by that I mean that sometimes your life can be dominated by hardness. Sometimes it can be dominated by shallowness. And remember one of the things I said was that if you can understand this parable, you'll understand the contradictions that you have in your own life as a Christian. How on Sunday you can be ready to go to the farthest corners of the earth for Jesus and come Thursday you know, you're not even sure you want to read the Bible. You've got to understand these contradictions. So anyway, some fell on thorny grounds and thorns grew up and choked them. And really that's an area in your life. It's not hard and it's not shallow. But as I put up there, it's an area of life that is neutralized. That's a good word to remember as a Christian. Ask yourself, where is my Christian life being neutralized? It's neutralized by things. And I put here the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. Because that's where Jesus said in Matthew 13, 22, when he was explaining it, he says, what was sown among the thorns? This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it and it proves unfruitful that there can be a double whammy of the cares of the world 
and the deceitfulness of riches. And really that thing ultimately squeezes life out of us. And one of the words, and it's a lovely word that you don't hear it a lot, but it was used a lot in the 80s and in the 90s, and I think it captures where especially a lot of Christians are, and that is a word, drivenness. They're driven as people. They're always reacting, always going for something. And the key characteristic is they're never at peace. They become driven. But you see, the Christian is meant to be called. A Christian is never driven. He's called. That's a big, big difference. Now, there's a, how most of us live now, isn't it? Everybody's trying to climb the ladder of success. But here's the wee question, and the question is this, what happens when you find that the ladder of success is against the wrong wall? We're going to be witnessing, I believe we are witnessing, just more and more people beginning to struggle because the ladder they're climbing is against the wrong wall. A little joke, I just put it up there. Two men stood at the graveside of a rich man. One asked the other, how much did he leave? And the other replied, everything. As far as I'm aware, I don't know if we have a lot of written documentation of people on their deathbeds who said, oh, I wish I'd given more to my work. Oh, I wish I'd have made more money. Oh, I wish I'd done this, that, and it. Most folk just wish they had done something different. I've got a couple of little stories I want to read to you. And this is an older one. It was called, it's a book called The Man Who Could Do No Wrong. And I want to use it just to illustrate about ladders on the wrong wall. And it's about, about a man called Charles Blair. Now, most of us probably haven't heard of Charles Blair, but Charles Blair, when he was at his height, way back in the 56th was a pastor of what we'd call a mega church, right, in America. It was thousands and thousands. They just started to expand their sanctuaries so they could cope with the thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming. He was the typical, now how you, we had the whole experience of the American evangelist, TV evangelist, very slick, very well dressed. You know, he was more like the CEO of a great big corporation rather than the pastor of a church. But what happened to Charles Blair was because he lived at the edge, he had something in him that kept pushing him. And he entered into dodgy deals to the point where he was tried and found guilty of fraud. And his whole world came down. Remember the TV evangelist Jim Backer? Remember him? Can you remember these, any of these? What they were, they were... They had multi-million pound industries going. But one day, God's patience ended and he pulled the plug. 
and they all came tumbling down and Backer himself ended up in prison. But for Blair, Blair wrote this book after really his big downfall. And he had really prayed a lot and looked at his life. And he realized that he was, that word I used, a driven person from a very young age. He was brought up in a really impoverished environment. He used to have to carry a pail to go to the, the equivalent now of a food bank to get milk. And he always dreaded any of his classmates seeing him. And one guy, Duke Everett, had a bike. And every time he saw him, he would always say, Charlie, what have you got in the pail? Which he knew, because that was a sign that your parents were just poor. And he said he hated it. And he always used to reply, whiskey. <laughs> but he hated it. He was very gifted. And he won this competition in the state. And his school wanted to present him with a certificate. But it cost 75 cents. You had to buy the certificate. Typical America, you know. You buy the thing you've been presented with. 75 cents. And his mother, they just couldn't afford it. A teacher ended up paying it for him so that he could, he could give you, get the certificate presented to him. But I want to read to you a story which really, in a sense, was a, a great turning point for him. He struggled with the poverty. And he said, to make my self-consciousness more acute, it was the year that I discovered girls, one girl to be exact, a golden-haired, green-eyed, 11-year-old named Claudia, whose father owned a bookstore on the town square. The problem was that only the boys with bicycles had much luck in attracting the attention of any girl. Circling the playground with no hands, taking the high curb in front of the school without dismounting, these were what drew stares of admiration. Which is why I was disbelieving when Claudia Williams, the prettiest girl in the class, allowed me to walk her to her house one day. It was a very large house in the nice section of town, literally on one side of the track from ours. The Rock Island Railroad ran through Enid, that's the, the place it was brought up. Working class houses like ours were east of the track, the homes of the stone owners, professionals, to the west. There were two separate worlds, and I don't think it ever occurred to my parents to try to cross into that other realm or want to. But I walked with Claudia's side down the tree-shaded tree streets like a soul newly admitted to heaven. Here the houses had grass in their yards and flower gardens instead of vegetables. I wanted, oh, I wanted so badly to belong to this world. And after that, I walked Claudia home every day she would let me. My one terror was that she would, rec she would meet her father and he would recognize me as a boy who came into the bookstore with his mother to start each term to apply for state assistance textbooks and supplies at the time were supplied by the government. And then one lovely spring afternoon, three blocks from Claudia's house, something even worse happened. Down the sidewalk behind us came Duke Everett, 
on his red bicycle. Duke was the son of Enid's dentist, a citizen of this grassy, leafy neighbourhood, where I only was an intruder, and he sounded his two-tone horn as he thought, as though he owned the place. Give you a right, Claudia, he said, when he jumped aside. And Claudia, without a backward glance to me, climbed onto the crossbar of his bicycle and let him pedal her out of my sight. The tears I could never control dribbled down my cheeks as I trudged back to our dusty street on the wrong side of tracks. But behind the tears was something else. It was a resolve I had felt forming in me the week when Duke Everett caught me with the milk pail. Somehow, someway, I was going to make people look up to me. I'd ride a bike and I'd drink milk out of bottles. And when I needed a pencil, I'd just slap my money down on Mr. Williams' counter. And everybody would have to respect me. Became a Christian. God touched them. But the cares of the world and the deceitful of the wealth, deceitfulness of wealth was inside them. And that drove him to become one of the, the best ministers, a fantastic speaker, fantastic organizer. God used them, but that was inside him. It was thorny ground. And what it was really doing all the time was neutralizing him to the point where even as a Christian, because it goes through his book where he stole a pair of shoes, became a Christian and took it back to the store and said, I've stolen these shoes, I want to pay for them. The guy was so impressed, he gave him a job, right? He was so honest. But the thing about it, as that gradually grew in him, as he grew and matured, eventually it destroyed him. It destroyed him. Because something had happened deep inside him. Remember I said about the abused become the abusers there. Something happens there. It starts a ball rolling. You know, there are, there are lots of people who are very, very devoted Christians. Really know Jesus. But there can be these powerful forces in them. That's why you find the, the TV evangelists who I mentioned in America who had the downfall was very simple. Most of them came out of poverty. So money became the big thing. And little realizing that that was going to destroy them. Remember I quoted last week a lot from Ordering Your Private World from Gordon MacDonald. He tells of a simple story. He was a pastor. He had a couple beside him. And the wife wanted the husband to move out because he had reached a stage where the husband was always working. He, he was successful, but he was always working. He was angry. You know, he would lose it all the time and everything. And, and Gordon MacDonald counsels them. And then he said this, as a story eventually unfolded. What slowly unfolded was a tale of extreme relational pain. His father, I learned, was a man, his father, I learned, was a man given to extreme sarcasm and ridicule. 
He gradually told his son, you're a bum. And you'll always be a bum. Nothing better. Heard that in your life, yeah? Am I the only one who heard things like that? <laughs> Being hammered, right, by angry men who had themselves come out of terrible situations. I often said, my father was a prisoner of war for five years, captured at Dunkirk. Um, the man who came home was different from the man who went away. And he was prone to cynicism and anger and bitter of what happened to him. But anyway, this man now was very successful. And it was all because he was trying to prove something. And you know what he was trying to prove? That he wasn't a bum. That his father was wrong. And some of you here maybe have had parents or that who have said stuff to you. And it's been in you. And it's been driving you to prove them wrong. Since a state of unbumness was, was equated with hard work, high income, and a status of wealth, these things formed a cluster of objectives from this driven man. He would show that he was a hard worker by owning a business and making it the best in the section of the yellow pages. He would produce large sums of money even if some of the money was dirtied by the way it was obtained. A large house, sports car, season tickets, etc., etc. And his whole life was designed to prove his father wrong. And he succumbed basically to this, the deceitfulness of wealth and the cares of the world. And I think lots of us, without realizing it, sometimes... We're trying to prove somebody or something wrong about their estimations of us. MacDonald concludes this whole section thus. He said, I could wish for this man who came to talk with me about his wife's demands that he leave their house. Time after time we talked about his insatiable drive to win, to earn, to impress. There were a few occasions when I thought he was catching the message, when I allowed myself to be convinced we were making progress. I actually believed he was going to move the center of his life from the public aspect of his world to the private side. I could see him kneeling before Christ, offering up his drivenness, being washed clean of all the terribly painful memories of a father who had flung a sense of bumness into his private world. How much I waited for my friend, the successful bum, to see himself as a disciple called by Christ and not driven to achieve in order to prove something. But it never happened. And eventually we lost contact. The last I heard, his drivenness cost him everything. Family, marriage, business. For it drove him right into his grave. Sad, isn't it? But you see, that story is probably repeated in one form or another in multitudes of people's lives. This drivenness. But all remember, as a Christian, you're called. Now, I've often said this to, and when I've been teaching places, that I, I was a pastor for 38 years 
And to be honest, I saw the parable of the sower just outworking all the time. I met the Christians who were incredibly hard, yet they were Christians, but they were hard. You know, they would use the Bible not to encourage you, but to hit you over the head with it. They were hard. I met shallow people who genuinely wanted to serve Christ, but the shallowness was there. And I've met Christians who put ladders against their own wall, and their whole Christianity has been controlled. Remember I said it's a permutation? Something will come to the top and begin to dominate all the other soils. Well, the key thing for us, and this is the good news, Jesus said there was good soil. Right? That's the important thing. And you've got to remember this in your life. There's good soil. There might be a hardness. There may be a shallowness in areas. There may be thorny ground in areas where you feel you're driven by other things. But you've got to realize there's good ground as well. Other seeds fell in good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And that is, I've always believed this, right? That there's an area in everybody's life that's open to God. There's an area where the soil is good, where the soil's tender, and where the soil can really begin to produce something. And that's very important for us, you see? And that's an area where we're humble and teachable. There'll be other areas where, see, they're already throwing things at me. Even, even the, the children are throwing things at me. <laughs> Honest, I'll finish in five minutes. <laughs> we're humble and teachable where we're open. You're not open in the hard ground. You're not open in the shallow. You're not open in the thorny. But you're open in this area and not only that, it's the opposite of drivenness. You are called in that area. It's not a place where you manufacture. It's a place where it, it, things just start to grow. Jesus said this in Luke 8, 15. As, as, for, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, in hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit. And what's the key word there? with patience, with patience. They just hold on to it. And what happens from that point is this. It's still a choice because you notice Jesus said you can either have a hundredfold, sixtyfold, or thirtyfold. It's still a choice to allow that to happen. Now, what's important about that? Remember I said the permutation of our life. Hard soil, shallow soil, thorny soil, and good soil. That's all in your life, right? And it's a permutation. And for some Christians, the hard soil dominates the life. Others, it's the shallowness that dominates. You know, the, we call it flakiness now. But it's shallow. You know, and, uh, am I the only one who've met Christians like that or found myself like that? Yes. Anybody else? Do you want to acknowledge it? You know, <laughs> Am I the only one who goes through all this? Please tell me I'm not. I want to be accepted. Thorny soil. The cares of the world, the deceitful. 
that can dominate your life and you can be climbing a ladder. But see, the important thing that God's working in us, and that's actually what conversion is. God creates good soil in your life. Remember I talked about, about being born again. It, it can actually mean being born from above. And, and that's what God, God creates a good soil. And that good soil can begin to dominate. And as you allow it to grow the 30, 60, 100, it can begin to dominate the thorny ground. It can begin to dominate the shallow ground. And it can begin to challenge and dominate the hard ground. And that's what we've got to understand. If you can understand this, you can understand the contradictions that's inside you as a Christian. And if you understand the contradictions, you understand this is how God's got to work, then what happens is you begin to align yourself, or to use the biblical word, you begin to repent. You begin to turn around and align yourself to the way God works. See, my problem and our problem is we can major in the wrong soil. I can spend most of my life hammering myself because of a hard ground of what's happened to me. I can hammer myself on the shallowness. I can hammer myself on the thorny ground. I can moan to God all the time. And I can be spending time and t lots and lots of time trying to resolve all these soils. But that's not how you do it. See, the Holy Spirit focuses on the one soil that can change us. And that's the, the good soil. I learned that way back in 1970, one of my first six months in Glasgow, 77 it would be, uh, uh, there, I found out there was a full gospel businessman's meeting, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, by a guy called Demon Sharkarian, um, and what happened was that I went along to, it was in a hotel, and it was a man who had memorized the whole Bible, I couldn't believe it, but what he felt was that his ministry was, so say like Archie's there, he would call Archie out and he would start to say, Archie, and then before you know where you are, he's quoting from maybe the book of Ruth, he's quoting from Jeremiah, he's quoting about five scripture verses that are going to be you. But he told a story, and his story was this, he was in a church one time, and he called out a woman, and everybody in the church kind of pulled back because the woman's life was an absolute mess morally and everything. And he brought her forward and he gave her so many verses of comfort. And eventually after when he was told about it, he went and prayed about it. And he said, Lord, did I make a big mistake there? And he felt that God had told him, no, I look for the one area where I can bless. And that becomes the inroads of my spirit into the person's life. And I was always challenged by that. I understand it now. You've got good soil, and that's what God is going to use in your life. 
You can spend your life hammering and struggling with the heart, the shallow, the thorny. Spend your whole life as a Christian, up and down, going here, going there. But the key thing, you've got to begin where God begins. And where the Holy Spirit begins is in the good soil. Last little part here, and then I'll finish. Writing to the church in a place called Philippi, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, have you always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence? Notice this. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We have to work it out. And we work it out with an attitude of reverence. Right? It's not going to just fall from heaven. There's good soil in your life. You've got to start there. You may feel today you're the worst Christian ever. Right? You may feel, look, my life's a total and absolute shambles and mess. But there's good soil there. And you've got to understand that. And you've got to begin to concentrate now on the good soil of your life that is open to the Holy Spirit. Not only that, notice it's God who's working in us. Work out your salvation. You have to do it. But it's God working in us. And notice it's from the inside out. That's how God works. From the inside out. And then God's goal is simple. We do the good works that he's called us to. Remember I, I mentioned that last week? That God has called us to good works. He's already prepared them in advance. You've got to now align yourself with that. And that's a challenge. But you've got to start. God is working in me. I may be a mess here. I may be a mess there. But God is working in me. And the goal that God wants is this good soil eventually to dominate my life. So that the thorny soil gives way to it. That the shallow soil gives way to it. The hard soil gives way to it. And I mature in Jesus. And it's all pretty simple really. Somehow we've managed to make it complicated. And I'm the same as everybody else. We've managed to complicate it. And we've managed to make a mess of it. But if you understand, I think, what we've been trying to teach over the last two Sundays. That you'll begin to see now that all's not lost. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas I said Eugene Patterson, it's Peterson, but Eugene Peterson's message. Um, Jesus said, stop unbelieving, but believe. And that's really what the challenge is to all of us. You've got to believe God's working in you. You've got to believe there's good soil. And you've got to go for it using that. Yes? Yes, yes. I remember I said last week, we don't say amen in the Church of Scotland. We can say yes, so it means the same thing. Yes. Let's pray together. Eh? 
Father, I do ask now that you will clear the fog that so often can capture our minds, where so often we, we make everything complicated, where we begin to hammer ourselves, where we begin to condemn ourselves, and where we tend to concentrate on the wrong things in our life. But I thank you, Father, you've put in every person here good soil. There's good soil now. And we would want and ask simply, Lord, begin to show us it now. Begin to allow it to rise up in us. And Lord, begin to teach us now that this soil might permeate our whole being. And the hardness, the shallowness, the thorniness, whatever the area we're struggling, begins to give way because the soil is good and you are at work in us. And so we want to bless today, Father. We want to bless you. And we want to thank you that you have begun a good work in us. Well, we pray it now in the name of Jesus. Amen.